Nora Speaks is a weekly podcast that tugs at the soul and consciousness of the Black community. With show topics such as youth empowerment, education, women's impact, and civic engagement, Nora Speaks challenges the listener to not only join the movement, but be the movement. On the show, you'll learn from insightful guests who have demonstrated capacity in these fields and more. And I'm your host, Nora Muhammad. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Nora Speaks podcast. And I am your host, Nora Muhammad. I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode. I am always grateful to um, be able to provide uh, wonderful conversation, wonderful commentary. You know, I don't want to be someone just on a mic who is taking up airspace, if you will. I want to be someone who has a microphone and is affording the listener, who is affording the audience um, insights and ideas and knowledge and tools and tricks and resources so that we can improve our outcomes. And that is no different for this episode. And the title of this episode is Family is the Best Social Program. Family is the Best Social Program. And, you know, I've heard I've heard it said that a job is the best social program. And I would have to respectfully disagree with that assessment. I believe that family is the best social program. So recently, I attended a forum hosted by uh, the New Jersey Juvenile Justice Commission. And they were talking about um, some of the improvements um, to the juvenile justice system. They talked about some um, uh, information that they've gleaned from doing studies and doing their own research and uh, listening tours, um, kind of doing surveys. And, you know, they had recommendations based off of the feedback that they got. And they talked about, you know, where uh, they want to go in the future in terms of dealing with and managing juvenile justice. And they had an opportunity for uh, community members, family members, organizations to speak, um, you know, as they are concluding their listening tour. And as I listened to the speakers um, from the audience, those who had organizations, and as I listened to parents, uh, family members, um, those who have been touched by um, the criminal justice system, had some involvement, folks who may have been formerly incarcerated, folks who've had uh, uh, children uh, or siblings in incarceration. And, you know, it's occurred to me that for much of this work that we're doing with our young people, so much of it is um, trying to fix something that's already broken. And here we are, whether it's a it's a it's a church or a temple or a mosque or a synagogue, a school system, a parole officer, a probation officer, um, a judge, a social worker, um, a clinician, um, a counselor, a mentor. Here we are impacting these young people or trying to impact these young people. We're involving ourselves in their lives 
after they have um, in some way went astray or found themselves to be in a circumstances or in a circumstance that uh, uh, created forged contact with the criminal justice system. Some organizations, you know, work with young people in the way of prevention. But what I'm recognizing is this unfortunate pattern of us just um, chasing the problem. And I believe that we have to get ahead of the problem, right? So there's that saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? We expend so much energy on the back end trying to fix something that's broken when we should be investing on the front end. And one of the ways that I believe that we can and that we should invest on the front end is by creating strong families, right? The stability of a strong and whole family is what is necessary for the development, for the cultivation of a well-adjusted adult. Um, and, you know, just in speaking from personal experience, you know, I'm someone who who was raised by neither my mother nor my father. And I, uh, you know, dealt with the challenges that um, being raised like that, I, I dealt with the challenges from having neither parent, uh, neither biological parent to rely on. And, you know, there was, you know, a good deal of pain. There was a good deal of frustration. Um, and there's so many challenges that come along with, you know, having brokenness in the home. And although I was raised by family who were um, wonderful and loving and and strong and dignified and, you know, great integrity, and I'm just so grateful for the family that raised me, um, but I also am impacted by the absence of both of my parents. And so for me, I was very firm, very focused that I was not going to repeat this when I had children. Um, in fact, for a, uh, the first part of my life, I didn't think that I was going to have children because I didn't want to get married. When I was younger, I uh, didn't really see myself as someone who would be married. Um, I really saw no appeal to being married. Uh, and I just didn't see that in my cards in my future. I'm thinking, I'm talking about, you know, when I was, you know, 13 and 14, I didn't really think that I would be getting married as an adult woman. And so because I wasn't getting married, I said, well, then, you know, I'm not having children because I'm not going to create that, um, disjointed reality for my children. At least if I had children, then I, I would at least try in a marriage, right? Marriages do not always work out. Uh, things change. Um, parents do split up, you know, but I, I knew that if I had children, then I would at least be in the attempt of creating something whole. Um, now, fast forward, obviously, I did get married and have children. Uh, my view of life changed drastically in my early 20s. And um you know, and I have I have a family. I have a beautiful family. And I'm grateful for my husband. 
Um, and, you know, we are kind of on the other side of raising our children. Our children are, um, both of them are going to be, you know, graduating high school soon. So we're kind of on the other side. We're, you know, nearing a transition point. And I see what uh, has been cultivated in them because of the stability that we provided for them in this family. And a family is, as I said, it's, 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 it's the vehicle or, or the mechanism, you know, where we are being molded, right? Family is the beginning of our lessons in sacrifice, in compromise, negotiations, in sharing, accountability, in seeking forgiveness and being forgiving, in debate, um, family, um, in our families, we begin understanding structure and discipline, um, receiving affection, love, dealing with disappointment, anger, duty, justice, fairness, you know, all of these things that uh, are necessary for us to be functional as adults. A lot of that begins in the home and a family. And I'm talking about family that has the parents there that, uh, you know, the immediate parents, there's the uh, siblings, right? There's uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents, you know, and then the, there's the extended family, and there's also neighbors, there's community, but the family and the home is that basic foundational unit. And if that foundational unit is broken, right? We talk about building on strong foundations, right? So if we're talking about constructing a house, for example, then we're building we're building a school, right? We don't want to build on a foundation that's broken or foundation that's unstable because we know that a broken foundation cannot support a structure to be built on top of it. There's, there would be um, insufficiencies in the building because there's a deficiency in that foundation. So, you know, much of how we're learning to treat people, how we're learning to relate to people, how we're learning to resolve conflicts, how we're learning to push beyond our limits, how we're learning to deal with discomfort. Much of that begins um, in, in our families, in our homes. Uh, we learn what we like, what we don't like. I'm talking about socially in terms of relationships, how we like people relating to us, um, how we, re- how we like relating to other people, uh, how we approach difficult uh, circumstances, difficult conversations. You know, the family starts the molding of the adult that someone would eventually become. And they start in the home and then they extend outside of the home, right? So obviously, you know, you have your grandparents, cousins, friends and neighbors, educators, coaches, all of these people and all of these relations make up our broader community. But if we are not um, being strengthened in the home, just through the experiences of having to relate to someone, having to share a bedroom, having to share a bathroom, um, having to share a kitchen, having to clean up after yourselves, having to do chores, um, watching parents work uh, to provide for the family, watching parents uh, comfort and console, um, 
children and each other, um, watching the sacrifices that parents are making, understanding the need for discipline, right? And, uh, and, and, and the structuring that a parent does in giving children schedules and, and, and chores and, and, and their own um, household obligations. So all of this is starting in the home and it's setting the foundation for, you know, that person that we are going to eventually become. But what we're seeing is at 11 years old, 12, 13, 14, 15, where we start to see behaviors that emerge in a child that may be delinquent, criminal, disrespectful, dangerous. We see these things um, and they can, you know, negatively impact the household. And we find ourselves kind of trying to chase the problem to fix the child. I'm talking about when we are having our children without the firm foundation of a stable family, right? Now, there are some families that are whole and healthy and were, um, you know, given principles and values to live by. And those children just went astray from what they were taught, right? And those are um, exceptional challenges and these families need support. Um, Some families find that they become broken, sometimes due to tragic circumstances, environmental factors. Sometimes there's an absence of either one or both parents. Sometimes it's, you know, it it may be due to um, military duty. It could be because of employment challenges where there may be a parent, dad working multiple jobs, mom working multiple jobs, or there's just one parent in a household that's working multiple jobs. So maybe the uh, the uh, rearing of the child may not be happening as it could be if the parent was more available, more accessible. And, you know, sometimes there's an untimely death, right? So these families, they need support. Um, But what we know is that there are many, many cases where we are having children and the notion of family was never considered, not planned, not intended with the conception of a child. We just have babies. We're having babies as single women. We're having babies as single men. And I'm not just talking about unmarried. I mean, literally single women and girls who are having baby that aren't even in a relationship with the man who conceived or the boy who conceived the child with them. Right. And we see the long term impacts that this has. Right. So we have a uh, uh a devaluing in a in a what I think is an ugly disregard for the necessity of family and 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 everything that a family contributes to not just a child but to children to um, a household to a school to a community and and ultimately to a workforce right to those who are going to be governing and shaping policy. All of this is starting in the home and it's starting with families, right? So we need the support. We need the support of a network that's extended relations, meaning, you know, I'm talking about the community. Uh, excuse me, I'm talking about uh, extended family. And we need the support of a community that is the teachers and the coaches and those people who are outside of the home that are all supporting the family. 
I've been to many weddings and in weddings, in particular Muslim weddings, what I'll see or observe is the minister is as he's giving his, uh, I don't know, as he speech or as he's giving his um, portion of the program, his delivery of the program, he's not just marrying these two people, right? As the, uh, um, the one to be the official, you know, to officiate the actual wedding, but he's also counseling the community of family and friends who are there watching and celebrating with these two people coming together. And what I see with these, and, and it's not just Muslims, but you know, in, in, in with black weddings that are really cultural, the person who is officiating is also talking to the community about how it is the community's responsibility, the family, the extended family, the neighbors and friends. It is our responsibility to support those two people who are coming together in a union. Whereas we do not do anything to create a disruption, to um, create any kind of negative impacts in the union of those two people. And even during those um, cyclical times of, of stress or, uh, or, or hardship in a marriage, then the community rallies behind them. We don't um, kind of come behind them and, and further create a wedge between the two people. We do everything that we can to help that unit stay whole, right? So it is up to us to support the family, but because our society and our people are diminishing the value of um, traditional families, we see the adverse impacts of that, right? So because young people aren't finding uh, stability and love and security at home, then they're going to find family in gangs. They're going to find family in pimps and, 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 and traffickers. Some of them are finding their family in drugs. Some of them are finding their family in prison. Because what must happen for children? They have to know that they belong. They have to know that they're valued. They have to know that they're secured. And they have to know that they are entitled to stability. And I'll tell you, I did an episode talking about, you know, us recruiting our youth because sex traffickers, um, drug pushers, gangbangers, they recruit our children by helping them to understand that they belong, that they have a family here, that they're valued here. Right. And so that's very, very attractive. Plus, they see the structure and organization that is supposed to be in a in the home that's supposed to be in a family that is often lacking. So the same thing that we are devaluing um, and undermining in the home, our children are still going out and seeking it because inherently that is what they need, right? So our children are being raised, they're housing insecure, food insecure, parentally insecure, financially insecure, emotionally insecure, educationally insecure, their safety, they're insecure with their safety. So if we understand what they need to be whole and to be secured, then we should create the environment in our households to uh, foster a foundation where they can sprout, if you will, whole and strong. Now, just because you're coming up in a home that has two parents that love each other, that's supporting the children, 
I'm not saying everything is going to be rosy and everything's going to be perfect. It may not be rosy and it may not be perfect. But if we have families that are making up our communities, then it's not just you as your personal family trying to deal with challenges that your child is facing. So I'll give an example. My younger son, both my sons were very, very uh, rambunctious as, as boys, little boys, very energetic, very rambunctious. And I remember going to pick them up from preschool and just dreading what the teacher is going to say to me because this one didn't listen, that one didn't listen. You know, I'll say my sons were kind of those boys that they behaved when I was around, <laughs> but when I wasn't around, they gave uh, they they gave the teachers a run for their money, especially they're very, very young. And so, uh, you know, I would just dread because, oh gosh, you know, they're going to think I'm not raising these boys. I'm putting everything I can into helping them uh, become decent, structured, disciplined, respectful um, men. This is this is my goal for them. I want them to be good, decent people, and I'm 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 giving them everything I got. And I go pick them up, and the teacher's telling me that the boy told her no, and I'm just like, she probably thinks that I'm just letting this boy run wild at home, and I wasn't. And uh, so that was preschool, and then we fast forward to elementary school, and things were kind of settling down with my older son. But my younger son still had so much energy. And there was a, a terrible situation that happened in school. And you heard about that. If you go back to the episode with my son, Kahar Muhammad, I believe the episode might have been called um, Mentorship and the Criminalization of Childhood. And we talked about a situation that happened in school where um, we had a run in with the criminalization of childhood. And it frightened me to death. And the year after that terrible incident happened, my community opened our own private school that ran from that runs from pre-K through 12th grade. And my children were then enrolled in our own private school and the 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 rambunctiousness, the energy, all of that that these children um had in them, it was put to use, right? The teachers didn't see my children, especially my younger son, they didn't see them as these bad kids, these kids that don't listen. They said, okay, these children have these strengths. Let's see how we can cultivate them um, and use these strengths in their learning environment. And let's also see how we can help them install or, or download structure and discipline. And so fast forward, I'm watching my children settle down, calm down. And what I'm so grateful for is I had a community who loved me, who loved my children, who understood what a black child needs in the educational system, and they worked with them, right? So this is what I'm talking about when I say the community also must support the family. We're doing everything we can at home. Maybe we're not doing everything, but we're really working and doing our best to help our boys, um, you know, be respectful and obedient when they're outside of our presence. And it didn't always work, right? But when they, they were put in an educational environment with people who also shared these same values, who, who, who knew the importance of family, who knew that this was a family that really 
um, was working together to create a, a stable and loving home. And uh, we know what happens, especially with black boys in the public school system, when they're too energetic or when they don't act like their white counterparts in school. So let's support this family. Let's heck, let's give the family ways that they can support the child at home to help the child be more successful in the school environment. But let's also help this child um, be all that this child can be. And so now fast forward, you know, we're a long ways away from that. But I had the ability to um, to be secure and to be confident that my children were in an environment where they were supported. You see, the community must come around the family because, as I said, just because you have a mom and a dad there and you're working together and you're together raising these children, that doesn't mean that things are going to be perfect. But we have a better chance at positive outcomes, successful outcomes with our children when we start them off uh, with a firm foundation and a base that is stable, right? So, you know, this has been really on my mind and talking about the best social program for, um, you know, the best social program is a family. It's been on my mind actually for months and I didn't record the episode uh, when it, you know, when it was first, um, I guess, uh, you know, putting, putting my, my belly, but I, I came across um, some research recently that really, Uh, speaks to what I'm talking about with the family as the best social program. And so there's, uh, there was some research that was done. I think this was done in 2010. And it was a study that looked at uh, what they call unmarried fertility. They looked at unmarried fertility, meaning uh, a child that is being born um, Um, from parents who aren't married to each other. So they looked at unmarried fertility and its association with unfavorable childhood outcomes. And there is an association with unmarried fertility, children born out of wedlock and unfavorable childhood outcomes. And I'm going to share, you know, what I found uh, in the show notes and I'll share links to the research and and links to the website so that you can kind of go over it yourself. I don't want to, you know, read it, uh, you know, line by line and verbatim. But I will say that we create unfavorable or the likelihood of unfavorable outcomes when we are just out here having kids, right? Just having children. We have no um, um, intention to have a child in the home with a father. And, and, and you know, you can say, well, you know, Nora, you're, you're saying this, but that's not true. No, I am telling you, I know women. I know young women. I know girls who are out here becoming pregnant and they don't have a boyfriend. They're becoming pregnant. And and not only do they not have a boyfriend, but they don't want the guy that got them pregnant. They don't even want the guy in their life, let alone in the life of the child. So what what are we doing for the child? What are we giving the child? What kind of um, um, stability or lack of stability? You know, it's, it's something that we don't think about. And in this study, it shares, it shows that the, um uh the 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 less value that a society or a culture puts on um married births meaning um children being born to parents that are married the less value we put on that the higher the unwed birth rate and then the higher 
the um, outcomes are that are criminally involved for these children. And sometimes I'm not just talking about criminal activity, I'm only talking about murders. There's a there's an increase in future murders based on the out of wedlock births. And so this isn't just something that was kind of brewing in my own mind. There's evidence that is um, behind this. And it's not necessarily uh, a social scientist, but these are economics or ec- economists that are studying this and that have produced this outcome. And so one thing that I thought was very interesting is this one, one line, and I'll read it to you. It says that children born to unmarried mothers generally receive lower human capital investments because the contractual partnership between the parents is less stable and sometimes non-existent. I'm going to read that again. Children born to unmarried mothers generally receive lower human capital investments because the contractual partnership between the parents is less stable and sometimes non-existent. And I'm telling you, these girls are out here with these guys. The guys have no intention, uh, obligation or responsibility to the woman. The woman has no obligation, responsibility to the man. They're not in any kind of partnership that is uh, beyond a uh, uh, sex. And Even that can be a temporary relationship. The sexual relationship could be a temporary relationship. And there is no communication. There's no intention, one for the other. And so then we have a child that is born. The father is MIA or in and out of the child's life at best. The mother is young, uh, getting public assistance. Um, Maybe she stays in school. She graduates high school and she gets a job. And she could be disposable in that job. And then that child gets sick, has to go to the doctor. Well, the mother now has to take off work. Now the mother is uh, insecure at her job. Now she's stressed out and she's taking her child to school or taking her child to the child care center. The child is sick. The child stays sicker longer. The child impacts other people with his or her illness. Other children get sick. And so what I'm saying is we create unfavorable outcomes when we do not anchor our children in families. A family, the parents of a child, are the key determinants to the child's welfare and the child's outcome. We cannot continue diminishing the value that family has. Family in the home, our extended family beyond the home, our neighbors, our friends, our community, our educators, our teachers, our coaches, our clergy, all of this factors in to what is creating a strong community that's going to support the family. But we have to do our part. We can't run to social service organizations now that our 12-year-old daughter is not coming home, but we've ignored our daughter the first three, four, five, six, seven years of our lives because we're out there in the streets living our life. And we're not raising her. We're not giving her attention. Her father's not around. And as I said, our children are going to find family. They're going to find the family in the gangs. They're going to find the family in the person that's sexually exploiting them. They're going to find the family in the prison. They're going to find the family in the drugs. They're going to find the family in the streets. And so then we say, well, we can't do anything with this child. She doesn't listen. What stability are we creating for our children I want us to stop ignoring the importance of family. You know, there is this narrative that we have or that we've accepted 
or that's pushed to us that family that men and women coming together in a union is so insignificant you know we like weddings we like weddings we like getting dressed up for weddings we love the dances that they do at weddings but we don't like families not as much as we should and we have to get back to that we have to get back to valuing family and look maybe you did kind of didn't do it the right way or didn't do it in the most orderly way but work on creating a community or uh, or connecting yourself to a community that's going to support you in the rearing of your child, right? We can't continue just to be a bunch of individuals. And that's why I use my example of my family that, sure, we have a, you know, in our, in our home, there's a mother and there's a father. We have extended family, but we also needed the support of our community to help my children have the uh, proper uh, support in their educational setting. And they got it because we are not just trying to be an individual family. We want to be connected to a community and our community has supported us. So um, I don't want us to overlook. Maybe we don't understand. Maybe someone never told us. I remember when I was young, I didn't get it. I didn't get the value of family. But as I got older, when I was in my early 20s, my late teens, I really began to see the beauty and the significance in a family. And I knew enough to know that not having the stability of a family was damaging because I was uh, I, I was the manifestation of that brokenness. I was the manifestation of that. And it, and it didn't feel good and I didn't like it. So I knew enough not to repeat that cycle. But. Once I saw how beautiful a family is and once I saw the role that a family has in the community, well, I wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to have a contribution. And uh, and so I'm just very happy that, uh, you know, my husband and I did uh, as we did and we have this wonderful family and we're connected to a broader community. And what I want to do is help our young people understand the importance of community, the importance of family, help them kind of get ahead of the problems that can come down the road from making bad decisions, right? And one of the uh, most impactful decisions we can make is who we have children with. That is one of the most impactful decisions we make is who we have children. Are we going to have children by the guy that we met at the party or at my cousin's house? Or are we going to have children, sisters, by the man who loves us, not based on his words, but based on his actions, and who is doing me the honor of telling the community that he is responsible for me and I'm being honorable to him by telling the community that I'm responsible to him. Um, this is impacting our children. And, and and you know, I, I, I don't mind going to these community meetings. I don't mind being involved with supporting our young people who, uh, you know, need the support. But man, we do help create these problems. And I'll say this, that the majority of young people that I see that need the most help do not have a father in their home or in their life. So this is a problem. And so I hope that you got something from this episode. I hope that um, you understand what I'm trying to say. Um And this is not a conversation where I'm bashing women who are single mothers. This is not about that, nor am I bashing brothers who are single fathers. This is not about that. But what I do want to do is I want to elevate and improve or or, or contribute to the improvement 
in the outcomes for our children so that we can improve the outcomes for our community. And I know that it starts with the family. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. And with every episode, you know, before I I hit the mic and go live, I kind of um, say a little prayer and I, I, I ask that my words or that I can be guided to choose and use words that um, resonate my real intention and the love behind the subject so that as the listener is receiving it, the listener can receive it with all of the love that is intended in the message. I am not here to sit in judgment of anybody. That is not um, that is not how I roll. I'm not here to judge anybody. But when I come across information that I know is useful to our community, I also know that I can't hold that and hide that. I have to share it because I love my community so much and because I want to improve the factors that are impacting our children. And I know uh, without a doubt that family is the major factor. So again, I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you come back, listen to another episode of this conversation resonates with you. I would ask that you leave me a comment, that you leave me a rating and a review, share this on social media on my social media handles. Uh, Nora Speaks podcast. You can leave a comment. Let me know what you think about this conversation. Do you agree or do you disagree? I am open to hearing everyone's perspective as I'm grateful that you are open enough to listen to mine. Thank you so much and stay in peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Nora Speaks podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming at you fresh next week. And as always, if you want to learn more about me and the work that I do, visit my website, noramohammed.com. Or if you have a listener question, email me at info at You can also follow the Nora Speaks podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nora Speaks Podcast. I'll be sure to include links in the show notes. If this show has value to you, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with family and friends. And be sure to check out previous episodes. And remember, don't just join the movement, be the movement. Stay in peace.